Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Ham Nation is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Ham Nation, Episode 1, recorded May 24th, 2011, The History of Ham Radio. Hello everybody, and welcome to the new show, Ham Nation, from the Twit Network. And that great music you hear behind us is very special. It's uh, being done by a, a wonderful ham radio operator and a friend of all of ours. Mr. Joe Walsh, WB6ACW. ACU. And ACU, I'm okay, duh. <laughs> and Joe has been, he's been a friend of, of mine for, I don't know how long we've been together, 45 years, something like that. Yeah. And we also have a, a wonderful engineer and friend of Joe's, mine, Dave Jennings, WJ6W. And Dave is... Uh, here he'll be explaining that great station that he's sitting in. But we're really thrilled to have you guys tonight and uh, really thrilled to be here with all of the TWIT network. We're going to do this every Tuesday night. We'll have all kinds of interesting guests and everything from how to toss a wire out a window and talk to somebody in Europe to uh, field day and uh, most importantly, right now especially, uh, what ham radio does for some of the serious disasters and our heart goes out to everybody in Joplin and I can guarantee you uh, I know a couple of guys that are already just they they haven't slept for two days out running around with their handy talkies providing the only communications in Joplin and that's what hams do but tonight we just thought we'd wing it here on the, the first show and um, see what we can do to generate some interest on ham radio for some of you that really don't know what we all do. Joe, I, I have a question that I want to open with you. How did you get interested in ham radio? When was it? And what brought you to this great hobby? Well, uh, when I was 12, uh, my family moved from Ohio to New York City. And it Was I went uh, semi country living with vacant lots and fields to play in to being in a uh, in a in a two bedroom apartment in New York City on the third floor, and it was summer. I didn't have any friends at all, and so I uh, uh, it was uh, it was a real shock for a twelve year old kid. But I noticed this thing up on the roof that would go around every once in a while. And uh, I watched it go around, and I noticed it was Saturday mornings. It would turn around, and I followed the wire down to a window and knocked on the door, and it was a ham radio operator. And uh, his name was Jim Walden, uh, W2IEY. And he took me in and, and uh, showed me ham radio, and I spent the rest of the summer learning about ham radio and uh, learning Morse code. And that was 1961. I got my first license. 
And uh, because of that technical stuff that I learned later on when I became a musician and had to fix my own stuff, because we didn't have road crew, <laughs> uh, I, I knew about electronics and I was able to uh, uh, work on amps and uh, work on my guitar. That's a little wordy, but that's what happened to me. Uh, one guy uh, took me in and uh, changed my life uh, for the rest of my life. And uh, that's what hams are about. That's pretty much what happens to all of us. David, how did you get interested in it? And, and how's it affected your life? Well, guys, uh, I guess it uh, started uh, like, uh, like the rest of most of us in, uh, in high school. Uh, I was uh, very interested in, uh, in ham radio. I looked at all the Heathkit catalogs and the Lafayette radio catalogs and all this. And uh, I finally uh, scrounged <laughs> together enough money one summer to uh, buy a kit for a receiver from, uh, from Heathkit. I put that together and uh, then started discovering uh, shortwave broadcast and then the ham radio bands and so on. But I got sidetracked. Uh, I happened to visit my local radio station. And uh, from there on, uh, my, my mind was changed from, uh, from ham radio for a few years <laughs> to uh, broadcasting. And uh, uh, I, uh, I pursued that, got into broadcasting. And then uh, fast forward to about the mid-90s, I kind of re, uh, rediscovered uh, shortwave radio. And I was listening around on the ham bands, and uh, I heard this group uh, with uh, running vintage equipment, which meant it was equipment from the 60s. Uh, and that's kind of what you see all around me here in, the, in my radio shack. Uh, so uh, I heard this group running Collins Radio, which was a very famous manufacturer of all kinds of uh, communications equipment and amateur radio in the 60s, and it still exists today. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> this group uh, really piqued my interest. And they, uh, uh, as well, I heard a group running AM, uh, which is uh, somewhat unusual now on the ham radio bands. Uh, AM is, uh, is a... Um, a uh, different mode that, of operation than is uh, than the majority of hams run. The majority run single sideband. Well, anyway, at about the same time, I was in a in a, a store in Burbank, a um, uh, uh, an antique store, and I saw this very microphone. And this was the microphone that was in the radio station. This model, where I worked uh, back in the '60s when I was uh, getting into broadcasting. And I said, you know, I need to have that. I'm not sure why, but uh, I might use it for something sometime. Uh, anyway, to speed up the story, I started collecting old equipment, ham radio equipment and broadcasting equipment. And I realized what I was really doing was rebuilding the station that I worked for back in the Midwest uh, in the 1960s. So a lot of this equipment is the very same model numbers of equipment was in that station. And the ham equipment is the very same stuff I looked at in the catalogs and dreamed about back then. So uh, in the mid-90s, later on in life, I got into ham radio and uh, fell for it in a big way. So that's, that's how I got started. Kind of a long story. I would call that a pretty big way, Joe, wouldn't you? <laughs> we, yeah. We talked <laughs> talk yeah. to Joe. 
a lot on uh, on AM, but uh, he's always got the biggest signal. He and Mike, it's always a fight to see uh, if him and uh, No Money Mike's got the biggest signal. But uh, it, I don't know. It always comes out that uh, David's pretty close to the top, and what a gorgeous thing. Uh, that's really great. Uh, yeah, I think Mike's usually at the top. We're about one mile away, so we uh, <laughs> we kind of battle it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Well, we are licensed to talk to each other. We're not really licensed to uh, provide entertainment. So uh, <laughs> it's a shame, Dave, that you can't play music because you have a wonderful <laughs> signal. But the good news is I get to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Yeah, I can play music too. I have enough controls here. I can play it, but uh, certainly not on ham radio. <laughs> and by the way, you can join uh, all of us on that great AM net on uh, every Wednesday night at 3870, which is where the AM band kind of started. There's a gentleman's agreement of many decades ago that 3870 to 3890 would be a window for the AM band when the side bands started coming in. Sideband entered this market about 1958, somewhere in there. And and so we all hang out about 3870 to 3890. That's where you'll find the AM band. And uh, you'll hear, uh, hear each of us there. And uh, Joe's got a great signal on AM also when he's on the air and uh, not out traveling around. Joe, when you're when you're on uh, on the road, you actually take a smaller radio and sometimes have been known to throw an antenna out the window, right? Well, yeah, and uh, uh, I put a mobile antenna uh, on our tour bus, one of the tours, and uh, uh, talk to people uh, during our long evening drives to the next show. Except I, uh, I left a trail of mobile antennas across the country at every, uh, <clears throat> at every, uh, <laughs> at every toll booth, <laughs> because it stuck up above the bus and we barely made it through the uh, through the toll booth. But that's okay. I just went and got six more. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the James Gang days, uh, which is when Joe and I met. Uh, we used to have, a, I think it was an Atlas 210 in the back of the bus, if you remember that. And uh, yeah. those were those were fun days, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they sure were. Hey, you know, you, you can talk around the world with, uh, with a ham radio in your car. And it's also good, as you were saying before, Bob, about uh, when there are emergencies. Sometimes ham radio is the only uh, mode of communication that is there. Uh, in uh, both of the the big tsunamis that happened in the last five years or so, and uh, in Japan, in South America, where there's earthquakes, uh, the only people up and running are uh, hams who were uh, uh, had emergency setups for just that, and uh, and we're very proud of our record. We we've saved a lot of lives. Exactly. And right now there's a lot of it going on and it's not uh, just in the stuff that, la that happened a few days ago in Joplin, but uh, all over Tennessee and Kentucky and all of these places uh, right here in the St. Louis area where we are, there's still devastation. And so uh, hams provide all of this and we're going to have a lot of those kind of people on here on Ham Nation uh, as the program progresses and uh, they, they provide such a 
wonderful service, and we'll have some of those guys on and talk to us about some of the things they have to do, and you're going to be amazed at what they do to make things work. It's, it's really, really something. And, and David, what, what has Ham Radio done for your career? Uh, has your career changed, or did it guide anything that you're doing today? Well, I think the initial interest uh, in it uh, certainly spurred me on, and uh, uh, a lot of the, uh, I have learned some things about the more modern stuff. I know I'm sitting here in the middle of, uh, of all this uh, <laughs> antique equipment here. Listen but, to this, uh, Joe. I've Listen done things that. like uh, develop an interface, uh, oh, in the mid, when it was about 2005, to control my uh, AM transmitter, which is a big old broadcast transmitter, uh, control it over the Internet. So I had to learn some digital techniques and things like that, which have helped me understand some of the things I have to do um, in, uh, in my work as well. So you, it does you help me. You, uh, want, you, you want to tell everybody how big your transmitter is? It's so big you can't get in in the room. Where is your transmitter? You want to tell them? <laughs> well, it's in the garage. It weighs 1,400 pounds, so it's a little hard to get here uh, in this part of the house. I'm way in the back of the house, so <laughs> it's, it's out back. I think Joe has one of those, too. Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> mine's, mine's in the living room. <laughs> I put I put dishes in it. It looks like a uh, piece of furniture. Microwave cleaning or something. Yeah. 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 But David, why don't you take your camera and can you swing it around and show them you're not just a, an OAM guy. Look at all the rest of the stuff that you have in there. Can oh, you do okay. that? Okay. You know, I did want to say one thing. I wanted to promote a vintage sideband net that we've recently started here. And I know you're aware of it, Bob, and I don't know if you are, Joe. But it's every Tuesday night, starting in about 10 minutes from now, Oops. on a thir 38.95, 38.95, out here for mostly West Coasters, Arizona, uh, uh, you know, California, and so on. But uh, anyway, I just want to mention that. So I should really turn on my uh, Collins here and, uh, and get it warming up. So uh, let me just give you a swing the camera just a bit here. And I'll point out some of the other stuff here. Look at this, Joe. Wow, look at that. So at the bottom, at the bottom is the uh, oh, there's, come up, uh, there's the uh, Collins S line, as they call it, which is a receiver, a control unit with a speaker, and the transmitter. And nowadays, that is uh, more always, almost always compressed into one unit, like this more modern ICOM unit up here. Uh, but this is this is all tube type equipment, and then uh, next to it is a, a power amplifier that uh, brings the signal levels up f uh, higher, so you can get out further. That was uh, that was very popular in the '60s, and then on the top shelf, and this is indirectly courtesy of you, Joe, as you know. Uh, yeah. This is um, a Helicrafters set that was really the competition f that the Helicrafters company. Uh, manufactured at the time the Collins S line was being sold, so they're uh, they're the competing units at the time. And then and, and up here, uh, yes, Bob. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Uh, and then up here on this shelf is a couple of uh, Gonset units from I believe the late 50s. You might tell me uh, 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 mm -hmm. about that more but uh, sure. these were mobile units and they operated AM and CW code Morse code 
and one is the uh, receiver and one is the transmitter and they were small enough with an auxiliary unit that you put in the uh, in the uh, trunk they were small enough to put inside your car of course, nowadays Joe, they're that's much why, that, Joe, that's why you had to have big Oldsmobiles and Cadillacs to put that, all that stuff under the dash, right? It <laughs> certainly is. It certainly is. The bigger the car, the better, the bigger radio you could put in it. That's right. <laughs> it was so much fun back in the 50s. <laughs> I have some pictures, too, of, of the Gonset. Uh, they were yellow uh, Gonset communicators. And uh, uh, the, they were made by the Gonset company for the civil defense and uh, yeah. Alex might be able to bring those up for us these things were issued to the civil defense offices and they licensed the FCC licensed those guys so they could do emergency communications and those little gonsets that you have there Dave they led to this incredible thing called the gonset communicator and uh, the ones that were used for the uh, um, all of the communications of, of weather reports and and all of the storm related things back in the 50s was the Gonset communicators and they were something but um, we uh, we have gone so far beyond that today because those units they were huge and heavy now they're a little handy talkie that you hold in your hand that's mm -hmm. the Gonset communicator uh, a Goonie box, and we all grew up with those, didn't we, Joe? Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> we sure did. Yeah, yeah, and that that one, of course, has a that was issued by the Civil Defense. That's why it has a Civil Defense tag on the front of it. And uh, then they had the other one that I know you're going to re uh, recognize, Joe, as the amplifier. And I tell you, that was really something. When I was a teenager, and I had this Gonza communicator with the little window in it, and these big tubes in there that lit up. It only ran about 150 watts. I think it drew about 400 out of the wall and it got so hot, but that was early technology and that's how we came all the way up the ladder to where we are today and we can do that in just a little handful of equipment. But Gonset uh, was the creator of all those wonderful things in those those days. It, it was really great. and. Um, I, I know that ham radio has played such a part in everybody's lives. And, uh, and like you said, Joe, you used to fix your own equipment, and uh, we had to do that. But you learned that from your mentor, and Jim helped you. But you just you just dug in, and if you blew something up, okay, you blew it up, and you found out why. And don't you think that was a, a big part of, of ham radio in the 50s? It was so much fun when you and I started. Yeah, yeah, it truly was. My my first transmitter was a, a called a Heath kit, and it was a kit that you sent away for, and it would come, and you'd you'd build it at home, and I had a Heath kit that I built, huh. and uh, that was my first little transmitter. But uh, all the stuff I learned in in ham radio, being a hobby, uh, I later. Uh, used as a musician uh, because one other part of being a good musician besides playing is knowing how to fix stuff. And uh, uh, when you carry your own stuff around and set your own stuff up, if it doesn't work, you don't play. So I was always uh, 
I was always really, uh, really blessed uh, to be able to get in the back of stuff and, uh, and to some degree figure out what was going on. And so we could play. That, that's how you and I met, if you recall. Yeah, that's right. Something was blown <laughs> up and you came over. <laughs> we, couldn't the, uh, play. we couldn't play yeah, something was blown up and you came over and fixed it. <laughs> that's right. And then, we had all, and then I all blew it up again. <laughs> <laughs> You'd do that every night and uh, I'd have to have to fix it the next day and of course we carried a bigger PA than everybody was doing in those days and that's how you and I met but we spend an awful lot of time in the back of the bus talking to South Africa when we should have been answering stage calls right yeah. yep 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 <laughs> we oh so much fun and uh, I, I know that also another thing about CW uh, about the ham radio is CW where you really have to learn to listen and NCW Morse code is, is a, a very vital part of ham radio uh, in, in the time that we got our license you had to really buckle down and, and learn Morse code today they've pretty much gone away with it but it's very interesting that new hams will come into the hobby and they'll get their license without the code but then they go to it because it's something they didn't have to do. But, wow, what's all this interest about CW, continuous wave is what they called it. And it was the original way to communicate. And, and this coming year, it will be 100 years that the ham radio signals were passed between each other. And so we got a big milestone coming up. But, Joe, I know that you really are proficient at CW, and I, I think it's really helped our musicianship to be able to to listen to Morse code and get into these signals and and, and dig to them. Don't you don't you believe that? Yeah, I truly do. Uh, Morse code came out of the uh, the World Wars. It was a uh, uh, one of the major means of communication for World War One and World War Two, and it was required by the Federal Communications Commission that you know it if you were gonna be a ham radio operator. And gradually, in the digital age, it's become kind of uh, obsolete. But when all else fails, uh, there's always Morse code to get a message through. And some of us hams uh, uh, think it's an important tradition to keep, to keep going. I find a lot of the, a lot of the low frequencies you'll you'll see uh, or hear an awful lot of CW signals, uh, and, and especially with uh, some of the really great old equipment. Do you listen around on the uh, on the uh, Morse code bands, David, with uh, with all those great receivers behind you? Do you get to listen around down there much? I listen around some, but I'm not. Uh, being a younger ham, I'm. A, I'll have to admit that I. Uh, I didn't have to pass the stringent uh, code requirements that you fellas did. So uh, I've, uh, I can copy some, but not, uh, not that much. But, you know, it is an, an interest of mine to get into it, uh, you know, when I have more time someday, because it is intriguing how you can get a signal, you can get a message through when the signal is so weak, there's almost nothing but noise there, but there still is enough you can recover out. It's like digital in that way. There's mm -hmm. enough you can recover out of the signal to uh, to get a message through. 
Absolutely. And, and one of the things about, about that is that the receivers can be narrowed down so much we can get rid of a lot of noise. So Morse code is a lot of fun. And uh, I'm glad to see that the FCC did. Uh, they, they've, they've really uh, loosened up on the CW, and you can get into this hobby without even taking a Morse code test. But uh, I have a little warning for you. You're going to get into it like we all are here and having a lot of fun. But you're not going to take that receiver and go down to the low end, and it's like, what are these guys saying? What are they doing? It's another language, don't you think, Joe? Totally another language. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And uh, and uh, I, I'd like to say, I think at this point, that if anybody's listening and uh, wants to learn more about ham radio, you could go on the internet to uh, ARRL.com, which is the Amateur Radio Relay League. That's an organization that most of us are members of. And there's all kinds of information about ham radio and how to get started. And uh, uh, we'll explain uh, anything we said tonight that you don't understand, or today, whatever it is. And uh, uh, ARRL.com, uh, Amateur Radio Relay League. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, that's oh, a, there a it is. great site. There he is. Look at that, Joe. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. yeah, they uh, they have a lot of information there, and um, Joe and I were were fortunate enough they they invited us up there a couple of years ago, and uh, we have a picture that Alex might be able to find it. We went to their their flagship station, which is W1AW, and um, this is a station that's been on the air since back in the twenties, and. It, it is an incredible thing. And if you ever get around Newington, Connecticut, that's in the Hartford area, if you ever get there, you need to go there. And that's just one of the studios you're seeing a picture of. We looked pretty good there, didn't we, Joe? Not too bad. After 24 hours of contesting, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the craziest part of it. And uh, we... Um, we had a, a whole uh, a weekend, and that's another part of ham radio. Is uh, they'll 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 have a lot of contests on, and uh, they'll take a weekend and um, various subjects and directions of contesting, and uh, we'll get on the air for 24 hours and see how many stations we can work. Uh, it might be a CW contest. It might be. A VHF, a very high frequency contest, way up high uh, in frequency. It might be a, a long wave DX, whatever. They're all different subjects, and you you get on for for the weekend if you're really a serious contester, and uh, whoever works the most stations wins. <laughs> and uh, Joe, I don't think we won anything, but boy, did we have fun, huh? It was yeah, great. We sure did. We sure did. We. Uh... Another contest is work as many foreign countries as you can uh, in, in a three-day period or a 24 hours or whatever. And that's amazing uh, uh, to get uh, to talk to 100 countries in maybe four or five hours is, uh, is amazing. And, and the guys that win that stuff uh, talk to, I guess, almost every country that there is at some point. 
Yeah, what are there? There's like uh, 340 or 50 now. I should have checked that out. But there's, I think there's 340, 50 countries, different countries that you can work. And there's a lot of guys that spend their whole life listening on the bands to find that last country so they can get their their awards and we go to a lot of conventions we just came back from one in visalia that's the international uh, yeah. contest and uh, dx uh, uh, show it it's really mm -hmm. great but uh, it, it's somewhere around there isn't it joe do you know no i don't that's a good trivia question <laughs> I don't think anybody knows for sure. <laughs> That's true. It changes. In this yeah. day and age, yeah. <laughs> David, have you worked any any uh, foreign countries? Do you, you do a lot on, on the AM net? The guys check in, don't they? Uh, well, on AM, we don't too much. We're, uh, we're generally on lower frequencies, but uh, I have definitely worked a lot of uh, foreign, relatively considered my modest antenna setup. I have a lot of equipment here, but my antenna said it was quite moder modest for a ham. Uh, but I have worked uh, uh, quite a few countries, uh, nothing, nowhere near, you know, as many as there are. Uh, but uh, whenever I uh, find conditions are, are good and uh, I find I can always work, uh, work a few foreign countries uh, uh, with, my, with my setup I have. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun when you're, you're just sitting around talking and all of a sudden conditions allow a signal to bounce in off the ionosphere. That, that's the whole thing is sometimes it's not the height of the antenna. Uh, it's, it's how it refracts from the ionosphere. And Oh, man, you'll be sitting here talking to each other and here comes somebody from, from Europe or, or Asia. It's, just, it's really wonderful to be able to do that. And, um, well, yes. Joe, a few, you, few years ago, I was uh, I was in Salt Lake City working. Uh, I was working there and had an apartment, and it was during uh, the highest point of the sunspot cycle. And I was working on 10 meters, uh, essentially many parts of the world, with an extremely modest, just a just a little stick over the <laughs> uh, off the balcony, and uh, it was it was amazing. Well, yeah. I, well, we're talking. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, well, it's all uh, it's a study of the ionosphere, uh, the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, the ionosphere uh, gets uh, charged particles uh, by the sun, uh, uh, ion, ionosphere. So the particles get charged, and that allows radio signals to bounce off the Earth's atmosphere back down to Earth instead of going straight out into space. And when the conditions are right, you could talk all around the world with uh, uh, a couple of watts and, uh, and uh, just a little piece of wire. You just never know who you're going to talk to, and every day is different depending on, uh, on the, the magnetic field around the, uh, the Earth. So it's a whole study of, of, uh, of all that, too. And uh, 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 there's a in this hobby or you can just get on and, uh, and talk to people one-on-one uh, -on -one. and I've met people I would never have met uh, in my life any other way than uh, through ham radio and uh, it's it's a wonderful wonderful thing a lot a lot of friends out there I've never uh, met in person but I've talked to them and uh, and they're friends for life Absolutely. And, and talking about that, when I was 
starting in the hobby. I got my license in 56. I became a VHF nut. I just was just overboard with VHF, very high frequency. That communicator that you saw a picture of a while ago, that little box, it's about a foot square. Oh, I think it ran five or seven watts. One day I came home from school. There we go. And by the way, Joe, there's that amplifier with those tubes in there that light. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You thought you really were a top dog when you had one of those, huh? Yeah. It, what's wild about it is that it drew so much power from the power lines, about four or 500 watts, but it only put out about 100, very inefficient. But we, it was better than the seven watts we had. I came yeah. home from school one day, high school. This is uh, 1958, and I turned on my communicator on six meters, and... Here was all these signals. Uh, this was in a, the biggest sunspot cycle that we ever had. It was amazing there for four or five years. Every 11 years, the sunspot cycle gets crazy. We're on an upswing again. We've had a real low period for the past uh, uh, seven or eight years. It's been pretty bad, but well, we make communications, but nothing like what I'm about to tell you. Uh, I came home. I turned on the communicator. I'm listening around. All these signals all over the band on six meters. That's 50 megacycles. And I heard this guy, CO2ZX. That's in Cuba. Yep. And I thought, wow, I'll call him. So, you know, I was real nervous. I picked up the mic and I called him and he came back and I worked him. And I got all done and I sat down and relaxed and I looked up. And the communicator comes with a whip, just like on your car antenna, a telescoping whip that screwed in the top. It was 54 inches long. And I used to talk to my, my friend that got me into this hobby. Uh, George was a, a, a school chum of mine, lived down the street. And we used to talk with our little whips back and forth so we didn't get uh, signals to bother anybody else. I looked up there and I had worked the guy in Havana, Cuba with a 54 inch whip and about five watts. And that was my best all around, the best contact I've ever had. Forget all the kilowatt amplifiers and the big antennas. Yeah. And I reached up and screwed on the little three element and away we went. But uh, I'm sure, Joe, you have a, a memorable contact like that too. Yeah, uh, when I first got my license, I was uh, scared to death to, uh, to actually talk to anybody. Uh, but I was on code, and uh, it was the middle of the night, and I was up, and uh, gosh darn if I, I, I heard very faintly uh, an England station from New York City, uh, G3EMT, I even remember the call, and uh, uh, he uh, came back to me, and I worked England, and uh, uh, it's a great memory. It's a great memory. It's uh, as a, as a kid to talk that far uh, with a wire up on the roof. Uh, uh, it's quite a feeling. Yeah, those were the memorable times. What about you, David? What was your first first contact, or even your most memorable contact? Oh gosh, I don't know. My first contact was probably, as I said, the, the uh, yeah, it was the Collins group. I got finally got up enough nerve to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> put out, put out a call with you, Collins fellas. There, uh, probably Joe. Tip. You were you were probably in there that night. Yeah, I probably and, was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
Gosh, memorable. You know, you were, you were mentioning uh, low power and so on. Joe, I remember you were on an island uh, off Santa Barbara somewhere. I forgot where you were, but you were working us uh, one night with like a half a watt or something on a very noisy band. Do yeah, you remember I that? Yeah, I was on uh, 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 Santa Cruz Island. Santa Cruz Island is off the coast of California, about 25 miles. Catalina is the most famous island, but it's a group of islands called the Channel Islands. And I was on the island with the uh, with a uh, motorcycle battery and a radio cranked way down to about a half a watt. And I worked the world. I worked the world with about a 60 foot length of wire strung between some trees and uh, and uh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, that brings up the point of the de-expeditions, we call them. And we will have some of these guys on Ham Nation yeah, also. Good. This is where a group of guys find an island, and that could be a rock that is uninhabited. Now, think about this. There, there are just thousands of those out there in the oceans. They find out what, con what country owns it. They have to go get a permission to be there by the country. Then they have to get a license like our FCC from that country. Then they have to get all their buddies together and there'll usually be four or five or 10 of them and they will make a little de-expedition. We call it DX is, is short cut in our language like the Morse code for long distance. Instead of sending L-O-N-G da -de da you just send dx and that means long distance so these guys will go on long distance uh, expeditions expeditions we call them a d expedition and they have to take all of their equipment usually in a 55 gallon drum because they have to sometimes float it out to the island in a boat or something it's just amazing what these guys go through they set all this stuff up they have to have a generator they have to have gasoline for a weekend. They have to have all the antennas, all the provisions. It, it's just absolutely almost unbelievable to me what some of these guys do. Joe, have you been on one of those de-expeditions? Are many of those? Have you been on one of those? No, I haven't been on uh, on one of those. Uh, uh, but uh, I have nothing but respect for those guys. And uh, again, that's uh, uh, there's a bunch of that at uh, ARRL.com. Uh, the best I ever did was I went to the United Arab Emirates uh, with a ham, uh, I know, uh, A61AJ. And we worked a contest and uh, uh, there were some great, great world-class operators. And I went along uh, at the invite of Ali Who's a, who's a great guy and a ham in the United Arab Emirates. And it's such a rare station, such a rare contact, because there's only, I think, two hams in the whole country that we had what was, what was called a pileup. And we had, at any time during a 24-hour period, we had at least 40 stations trying to uh, get a confirmation of contact between us and them. And uh, to be the object of what we call a pileup like that. When you're in California, you know, there's a lot of stations. So you worked 
you work somebody in California, so what? You know, there's 100,000 more of them. But when there's only two stations in a country, everybody wants to talk to it. And being on that end of one of the DX contests was uh, an experience I'll never forget. Go ahead. Yeah, especially on that end of it. And, and pileups, as you talk about, where you'll have perhaps a, a couple of thousand stations all on the same frequency at the same time trying to call one station way far away. Oh, my goodness. And you know how it is sometimes when you're tuning around on the AM radio band, that you, know, you get a couple of stations. The biggest pileup I ever heard in my life was a station was JY1. And that station, JY1, was King Hussein. And every time he got on the air, it was just a huge pileup. Did either of you ever work King Hussein? Did you ever work him, Dave? You ever hear him? No, I haven't, but I do have a little story. Uh, one of the members of uh, the sideband group I mentioned, the vintage sideband group, got a uh, transceiver recently that is claimed to have belonged to King Hussein. He said he could not verify it, but that was the word, and it was, uh, gosh, I forget, it was a manufacturer I didn't even know made uh, transceivers. Um, I can't think of it as like high gain or something like that. But, Drake. Uh, wasn't it a Drake? It was a Drake. I don't know. I think it was an off a brand I hadn't heard of. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so that's as close as I got to talking to King Hussein, hearing possibly his transceiver. <laughs> No, yeah, we have all kinds of people. Did you ever work King Hussein, Joe? No, I didn't. But you know, a lot of a lot of guy, a lot of hams have talked to Marlon Brando, who was right. a ham, and they had a radio in Tahiti. But they didn't find out it was Marlon Brando till till afterward. <laughs> That's right, Senator Goldwater, when he was very active, and oh, there were a lot of people. Arthur Godfrey, when he was, of course, and that tells my age now. But uh, all yeah. those kind of were on there. Roy Neal from NBC News and just yeah. on and on. Um, one of Chet, the, Atkins, uh, Chet Atkins was a ham and Ronnie Millsap is a ham. Right, right. And then there's that, that, that uh, crazy guitarist over on the right side of the stage for the Eagles. He gets on every once in a while and uh, <laughs> it causes a pile up too, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> every yeah. once in a while I get busted. You get busted, that's right. You work a lot of digital stuff, though, too, don't you? Yeah, I got into PSK-61, is it? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, a, that's an amazing mode. All the digital stuff is great. and uh, uh, But, you know, Bob, you and I and Dave are kind of analog guys here in a, in a digital age. And yeah. I think our love is, is all the... Uh, all the tube equipment before uh, solid state. When they were inventing the transistor, uh, tube equipment got uh, as good as it was going to get. And that's right when we were at impressionable ages about it all. And uh, I think that's where, uh, where our love really is. But there's digital, there's moon bounce. People talk, uh, bounce uh, signals off the moon. Uh, and uh, and talk to each other that way. There's just all kinds of uh, of modes, as we call it. There's something for everybody in this hobby. 
Absolutely. And it's, it's easy to get into it. And one of the things they're going to do here on Ham Nation, when we get in the new studio, that's the whole thing. When Leo gets everything together and, and uh, uh, it's working well, we're going to start lessons. We'll have a little segment at the beginning of each show. And uh, we're going to bring in Gordon West and, and some of the great teachers. And Leo is going to take his lesson each week. And we're hoping, uh, I got to check this out with the league, and I think it's okay. Gordon says, yes, it will be, because have, they have license, uh, uh, the people that perform the license test in Petaluma, and we will give the, the actual license test here on Ham Nation to Leo. Uh, wouldn't that be fun, Joe? <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. We'll see how he does. He will. He will. He, he's already got the book, and he's already studying it, so I think he's going to be uh, ahead of the game. But anyway, Leo does want to get his license. We're going to let everybody see just how simple it is to join us, and you can throw a wire up in the tree and uh, work the world. You don't have to have big arrays and all that kind of stuff, but uh, uh, we, we, we can communicate without a doubt. It won't be a problem, so we'll keep you posted on all of that stuff because it's, uh, it's coming down the line uh, where we can put up antennas. Uh, not like that crazy thing. That, that right there, <laughs> <laughs> that was my college education. I was 1960 to 362. I was a 128-element 2-meter array. That's 144 megacycles. That tells you how old I am, megahertz. There's, a, mm -hmm. there's 128 of those little elements, and they all had to be phased. And we, all of us in ham radio know how important phasing is. And I learned it as a young kid. And here I am years later building microphones because of those phasing lessons that have this tremendous rear rejection. How did I do that? You just saw it, that antenna. And when I say that to people, they go, wait a minute, what are you talking about? What's that antenna got to do with a microphone? And Joe was the one that pointed me to that some years ago. I'll never forget it, Joe, standing in your kitchen. You told me that I needed to build some better microphones for you. And, and we talked about a microphone is nothing more than an antenna, if you remember that. That was, that was quite yeah. an interesting conversation we had. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. And you've come <laughs> a long way, Bob, but uh, thank God. Uh, thank God you did because uh, the stuff you make, is uh, there's nothing else like it. Uh, people, when people who use equipment design it, it comes out totally different. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's part of it. We have to be out there in the trenches and we've all been there and the trenches got pretty deep. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wanted to, re I wanted to comment one thing that I, I, about David's microphone, that microphone is an RCA 77D, and it was designed by Harry Olson of the Bell Labs. He, Harry, Harry was something, and he then later got with RCA, and that microphone for years was the standard for just about everything in broadcast and recording. And uh, David, you got that. Uh, have you restored it at all? No, this one was in uh, good uh, electrical shape. It isn't perfect physically, uh, but uh, no, it was in excellent shape when I got it, and it's still working, and I don't know, but it was probably built in the 50s, uh, most likely. 
Yeah, most of those oh, yeah. were late late forties to fifties. Looks pretty good to me, doesn't you? Don't you think, Joe? <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Dave. Good enough. Yeah, that's great. Well, that that's um, it's an icon of a microphone, and of course, Johnny Carson, and it went on to Larry King. All those guys became the trademark after a while. They're very sensitive and and uh, fragile. That's why we can't use them out in the the uh, the road today. But oh boy, were they fun in those days? Let me tell you, they were great fun. They're and, still amazing to record with, too. They're, they they're are, am right. amazing to record with. Yeah. Joe, is I, there a special can I ask you? Go ahead, yeah. uh, Dave. Oh, I was wondering, uh, is the microphone used in any uh, special thing like with drums or whatever? What's it best suited for in recording? Uh, 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 vocal. Vocal, mm-hmm. Yeah. Vocal and, and uh, uh, acoustic guitar. Yeah. Uh, It'll take it'll take quite a lot of noise, a lot of less sound pressure. Uh, not right up on a guitar amp, but uh, as a kind of a room mic uh, in uh, uh, for for a guitar amp. Uh, uh, you know, you can record pretty much anything with it, but uh, vocal is it, great on a vocal, like your voice is uh, tonight. You, know, oh, you look Great. back uh, like Bing Crosby and uh, all of those, uh, Frank Sinatra, uh, yeah, just almost yeah, all of their things uh, were recorded, don't you think, Joe? Yeah, there's one in uh, in Capitol Records in Hollywood. There's one of those in Capitol Records, and that's what Nat King Cole used, and uh, Bobby Darin, and, and Frank Sinatra. That That's one of the standards that all those guys used. Yes. John McBride, who is Martina McBride's husband, he has a great studio called Blackbird in Nashville, and he collects bunches of those. He's got a whole closet full of them mm. and uh, restores them all and so on. There's still a, a, a couple of guys that worked in the factory in those days. Of course, they're up in age, but those guys are still restoring those. Did you know any of those guys, Charles Kane, or any of those guys, Joe? No, I sure don't. I sure don't, but if he's got a closet full of them, I'm jealous. Yeah, he does. It's amazing. And uh, <laughs> Sarah and I went there, and he was going to take us in the closet. And it was like uh, taking us into Fort Knox. Somebody stood guard at the <laughs> at the door <laughs> to make sure I didn't leave without one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I've got four or five of them here. I, people send them to me in the, uh, for my collection, so to speak. But, yeah, great stuff. Great yeah. stuff. Well, I, I tell you, we're going to start winding down. Have you got any other things that you, you want to talk about, uh, David? You got anything that that's pertinent on your mind that we can tell all the, the, the Twit family tonight in this opening session of Ham Nation? Well, I'm sure you're going to get into this a lot with uh, more experts on, on these kind of things than I am. But uh, Ham Radio is really uh, also really into the digital age and into the computer age. As a matter of fact, I, I've got a couple more modern radios that uh, with adding uh, the computer control to them and tying to the Internet, it just becomes incredible for chasing down DX and controlling the radios either locally or remotely and so on. And I'm sure you'll have uh, some shows about that, but uh, we aren't uh, uh, 
uh, as hams, uh, ham radio is not uh, is not stuck in the uh, '60s at all. Absolutely, uh, uh, Joe. If you got any uh, any remaining things that you'd like to talk about? Well, I'd just say uh, uh, we'll give the frequency again. If if you want to listen uh, some evening and you have access to a shortwave radio, it's three point eight seven zero. 3.870 uh, megahertz, megacycles. Mm -hmm. And you can get on here and hear some of these great old broadcast transmitters at work. And uh, uh, if you've got uh, a shortwave radio around, a uh, small piece of wire on it, you're, you're pretty much going to hear something uh, in, in the evening. Absolutely. On, on that frequency. That's a good way to get started. And ARRL.com. And uh, uh, I hope we've generated some interest. And I want to say hi to all the hams that have tuned in. And thank you, Leo. Thanks for the shot. And, uh, and uh, I'll be on again. And uh, good luck with this, Bob. I think it's great. Well, thank you, Joe, for spending your time with us. And Dave, you've been really helped tonight in that fabulous station. I had to have you on with Joe and let everybody see what's what's really going on with ham radio. And one last thing, I, I met with the Flex people a couple of days ago at the Dayton Hamvention, the largest convention in, uh, in the world of ham radio operators. And we're going to have the Flex people on F-L-E-X. Ah. Go to flex.com and you'll see this you take your That'll computer yeah take your computer and they have this little box just a little black box and you plug it into your computer and as joe said you can listen to 3.87 you can listen to 14 megacycles 20 meters 10 meters whatever you can listen everywhere do everything and not only listen you can talk to them if you had a license. It's an amazing new piece of technology, uh, and we're very excited in this hobby to have a, a, a little black box that's controlled from a computer. You tell it what do you want to do, how wide you want to be, what your audio wants to be, what you want to receive in your computer. You're the design engineer. And you take this little flex box, plug it into your computer, and bingo, you are a complete full-blown ham radio station and it's amazing and they're going to be on here in the next month or so talking about it so don't miss that either and any anybody if you have any any ideas or anything you like to see or hear from us here we, this is your show we're only the open door and leo we really thank you for giving us the time it's very honorable to be a part of of, of the twit family because i know it's vast and and, and i uh, i really appreciate the time to allow my great love of ham radio uh, to be heard by the rest of the world and, and uh, you guys have been really great tonight I, I appreciate it very much and the theme song you're going to hear be coming up is it was very very nice of you Joe uh, to do this and it's so special uh, and, and all the hams <laughs> all the hams will hear it and the, the, the four little things that's going on first and the two little things and the two little things they're actually spelling the word ham da 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 that's the rhythm that Joe did and you're gonna hear that probably underneath my voice here and and that theme song is amazing and uh, I appreciate you using the Heil talk box that's another <laughs> another subject <laughs> for another day yeah <laughs> but, it is. 
uh, I appreciate that, Joe. It was very, very good for you to do that. And all the hams appreciate what you do for ham radio. I, I really love all of it. And thanks for ten spending time tonight. Sure. Hi to everybody out there, and I'm glad I could be on. I'll see you again, Bob. Okay, we'll see you on the air. David, we'll see you very soon on on your uh, 3890 Single Sideband Vintage Net. And, uh, of course, tomorrow night we'll be on 3870 but uh, on AM. But... Uh, Please pay attention to what's going on with ham radio and, and let's say a prayer and spend a little time with all the people in the disaster areas and know that ham radio is the only way that those people are communicating as we speak. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great thing to be an amateur radio operator that can provide those things. Good night, everybody. We thank you very much. And, and, and for all of you watching, you want to stay tuned. There's a great show coming up here. They, they play made-up Internet games, and they're looking into all kinds of viral videos. These guys are fun. Uh, NSFW, and it's with Brian Bushwood and Justin Roberts. Young, if you haven't uh, spent time on that program here on Twit, just hang around. You're going to have some fun. Thanks a lot. Good night, everybody, and we'll see you on the good old airwaves of amateur radio. This is Bob Heil, K9EID. Bob, Bob.